Hello, and welcome to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. Every week we will cover one of the many reported cases of reincarnation so we can bring the discussion out into the light about what happens to our souls after death. But before we go any further, I'd like to thank Raphael Crux for allowing us to use his music from the freepd.com public domain music site. For today's case, we travel back to England to the 1700s to review the memories of a little girl by the name of Olivia. I found this case on Carol Bowman's Reincarnation Forum, and her mother never mentioned her child's name or her own name, so this little girl is always only known as Olivia. Although on the forum, her mother does slip sometimes and calls her Lottie or Lot. So I may use that name too to keep the conversation related pure to the original. This case will probably forever be considered an unsolved case, however, as sadly, records on the lives of poorer people were still quite patchy in the 1700s, and it's difficult to find information on anyone who wasn't famous. Olivia's first startling comment came when she was two years old. Her mother took her for a walk. When her mother asked her what time it was, Olivia replied, 1787. A few weeks later, her mother told Olivia that she looked like a little lamb in her furry white hat. Olivia started talking about taking all of the fur off a lamb and brushing the hair to get all of the dust out of it, which she added was very important. She said she'd had other animals too, other than just sheep. A little while later, while they were at home, she told her mother her name was Daisy and wandered away, returning a short time later to say Robinson. Confused, her mother asked her what she meant and she replied, It was my name. I used to be called Daisy Robinson. This method of delivery with regard to information seems to be the way that Olivia would make most of her statements. She would just arrive and provide more information and then go back to playing or whatever other normal childlike activity she was doing. Over a period of time, she provided more detail about her life and death. She told her mother that her mother in her past life had been called Kitty. Her mother was surprised that she even knew the name Kitty, as it's quite an old-fashioned name and isn't often used now, and no one in the group of family and friends has that name. Daisy didn't seem concerned to talk about the past and would often bring up past events. Her father asked her if she used to have a different mummy and daddy, and excitedly she replied yes. At another point in time, she spoke to her mother about her death. She came up to her mother and said, All of the air came out of here. Her mother asked, Out of where? Olivia pointed to the middle of her body and said, Here, and I died, but I don't like talking about it, and looked sad as she wandered away from her mother. Later she added, I died because I didn't eat anything. Olivia stated that she was 30 years old when she died. Her mother found Olivia's statements that she starved to death interesting, as Olivia had had a voracious appetite when she was a newborn, and her mother wondered if it was because of the starvation she'd endured in her past life. Even as a toddler, she would get very distressed, to the point where it verged on panic if she was told that her mother didn't have a snack for her when they were out. 
I'm hungry and can I have something to eat were statements that she made almost every second sentence throughout the day as a child. As a two-year-old, for breakfast, she would eat toast, cereal, yogurt, a banana and an apple. Her mother was quite stunned that Olivia was aware of the concept of death, as she'd never been exposed to it before other than seeing a dead frog once, and at the time, her parents never told her that it was dead. Children often speak about their past lives as they're drowsing off to sleep, or when they just wake up and are in a dreamy state. And this was the case with Olivia one day, when she started talking about 1787 again upon waking up. Her mother asked her if she remembered any favourite songs from back then, and Olivia replied, London Bridge is Falling Down, which was a favourite of hers. And indeed, this nursery song was around in 1787. The earliest printed English version of the song was found in a collection of nursery rhymes titled Tommy Thumb's Pretty Songbook, which was printed in 1744. The meaning of the verse is up for contention, with several hypotheses flying about. One thought is the song literally relates to the damage that was done to London Bridge during a major fire in London in 1633. Another believes it relates to the supposed destruction of London Bridge by Olaf II of Norway, as there's a Norse poem that is similar. Others believe that it relates to the burying of a child in the foundations of the bridge. However, there is no archaeological evidence a child was buried there. Whatever its origins, the nursery rhyme was definitely available for people to find in 1787. On another occasion, Olivia was eating a green apple and suddenly started giggling to herself. She told her mother that Daisy Robinson had only eaten red apples, but now she only ate green. For a while, Olivia stopped talking about her life, and her mother thought that perhaps it had been a phase and she'd grown out of it. But when she was four years old, she started talking about it again, after the death of their family dog, Misty. Olivia pondered whether the dog had come back as another dog. Her mother said, I don't know, do you think she will? Olivia replied, yes, because I had past lives. Her mother asked Olivia if she thought Misty was another dog yet. After asking when Misty died, Olivia replied, no, not yet. She won't be a new doggy yet, I don't think. Why not? asked her mother. Olivia replied, because you spend a bit of time dead first, like a few weeks or something. Her mother asked, oh, how do you know? I don't know, I just know. Oh, did that happen to you? Yes. Where were you after you died? I didn't exist. But your memories must have survived for you to remember your past lives now. Hmm. I find it hard to describe. Can you try? I went into thin air. How do you know you did that? Because my memories were lost. Somewhere remembered it. I just drifted up into thin air at night when nobody was about. And then what happened? I went up into the sky. Braked yourself up into dust. What happened to the dust? It floated about all over the place. After one month, I came back to Lottie. 
What did it feel like when you broke up into dust? I don't know. I was lying still because I was dead. But you must have been aware of breaking up into dust. What does aware mean? That you noticed it. Yes, I did, but I didn't really feel it. Oh, who were you before you were Lottie? I've been so many people in the past, I can't remember them all. And I can't remember the person I was when I broke up into dust and then was Lottie. What did it feel like to die? Nothing. Wasn't it scary? I think I'd be afraid. No, it wasn't scary. Did you see any other people when you were dead? When I was dust, other people made friends with me. What did the other people look like? Dust as well. And what did you do while you were dead? I was getting ready to be Lottie. What did you have to do to be ready to be Lottie? Change. What did you have to change? My life. Lottie, do you feel like this is new information or have you always known it? I've always known it. No, it's new information. Um, I don't know. It's really, really hard to describe. Are you scared of dying now? No, I'm not scared. It does make me sad, though, because I like being on Earth. Did you always go back to the same place when you were dead? Yes. I mean, no. I'm not sure. I just like being home. Where's home? In Australia. That was where she was currently living. I did have a home when I was dead, but I prefer being on the earth at home. And then she skipped off to the kitchen and asked if they could make some cakes. So when Olivia, or Lottie, speaks of breaking up into dust, I don't think she literally means that she became dust. It must be remembered that we're hearing the description from a young child who doesn't have the vocabulary yet to explain concepts like consciousness, energy or force. Having said that, her mother reports that Olivia said that she didn't exist, which I find intriguing that a four-year-old child would have any understanding of existing as such. To recognise that we exist is a very adult concept to me. Children don't seem to think of things that deeply, or do they, and I've just never thought of it. However, there is a sophistication to the language and thought that Olivia demonstrates when she's speaking about her memories, although I'm not sure if that is her mother transcribing the conversation in her own words at times, or whether she recorded the conversation and transcribed it literally word for word. I tend to think it might be the latter, because there were times when she used word contortions that children use. For example, I braked up into dust rather than I broke, and I've beed someone rather than I've been. But we'll never really know that for sure. The other thing that I found interesting about this conversation was that Lottie could remember that she'd been a lot of people, but she could not remember the lives clearly, just the sense that they were there. It makes me wonder why Daisy Robinson's life is so clear to Olivia when she's clearly lived other lives in between that one and her current life. Is she carrying the trauma of starving to death with her still? Was there something else unique about that life that still affects her today? 
Or was it because she's sharing this life with people who were connected to that life, making it fresher in her mind? Olivia also says that while she was dust, she was changing her life so she could come and be Lottie, which raises the interesting consideration that other cases have described of personality being markedly different between lives. Clearly, we don't come back to each new incarnation with exactly the same mindset or personality. As described in my earlier episodes, Bob Snow said that James Carroll Beckwith was mean-spirited and selfish. Paul Amaralt said that Jack Phillips could be arrogant and quite frankly racist. But when you think about the generations that have come before our own, that difference between what we were and who we are now can clearly be seen in a form of emotional evolutionary path. While we still clearly have a long way to go to reach true enlightenment, we've already come a long way. If you think about it, in the 1700s when Daisy was alive, we were quite happily prepared to use child labour doing hard physical jobs in factories, and we thought nothing of stuffing small children up chimneys to clean them. We didn't really care if they died up there, as long as they didn't clog the flu. During the American Civil War, the country tore itself apart because of slavery, even though the men fighting the war to free the slaves still considered black slaves to be inferior to whites. So it is possible to see the generational progression of humanity as a whole, which of course indicates that that means that each consciousness is changing and evolving too. If we are constantly adjusting ourselves to fit the new time period, and we have to ready ourselves and prepare ourselves to be different people the next time around, then who are we really? But back to Olivia and her captivating memories, she also had memories of being in her mother's womb, which were quite interesting. So one day she was resting her head on her mother's chest and she said, What's that noise? What noise? Is it a sort of beating sound, like a drum? Yes. That's my heart beating. Have you heard that sound before? Yes. Where were you when you could hear that? I was curled up in a ball. I could hear something. What could you hear? Someone talking. Who was talking? It was you. I heard your voice and Daddy's voice. Wow. Did you eat anything in there? No, just drank water. Oh, how did you do that? By slurping it, at which point she pursed her lips and made a sucking noise. Could you see things in there? Was it really bright in there? No, it was dark. Did you have any toys to play with? No, I was holding something. Was I holding your bones? I don't know, were you? It was sort of long, sort of curly straight. It was thin and round. It felt like a rubber ball, but it it wasn't a ball. How did you feel when you were in my tummy? Good. What did it feel like in there? A bit like skin. A bit tickly and scratchy. I was uncomfortable and comfortable. She also said that she remembered sleeping in there and when her mother asked her what she did in there, she said, um, nothing really. 
When she was four, she added to her memories of being in the womb. Her father asked her, how did you feel when you were in mummy's tummy? Olivia said, good. Her mother asked, were you comfortable? Olivia said, yes. The thing I remember about being in mummy's tummy was that it was nice and warm. Did you ever get cold in there? No. Did it ever get too hot? No. Was it too hot sometimes? No, it was just warm all the time, just hotty cold. Her word for a temperature that's just right. What else do you remember about it? I remember that thing I was holding was orange. But how could you see what colour things were if it was dark? Well, when it was a bright and sunny day outside, it was a bit brighter in there, and when it was a cloudy day, it was dark. It was very, very soft and comfortable in there for me. I loved it so much. Was it uncomfortable at all? Well, sometimes it was. I didn't have enough space. What shape were you in there? And Olivia didn't seem to understand that. I mean, what shape was your body in? Were you stretched out like this? And her mother stretched her arms and legs out. No, I was in a ball. Show me. Olivia brought her legs up to her chest and tucked her head down so her chin was on her chest. Did you ever stretch out? I did try to, but I didn't really have enough space. I wanted to stretch out. I used to think about how lovely it would be to stretch out. She paused and looked thoughtful. I could stretch out like this, and she extended her arms and legs a little bit, but her elbows and knees were still bent. Could you feel anything against your hands and feet when you did that? They touched a thing. It was really wide and long and big. Was it soft or hard? It was soft and squidgy. Were you bored in there? Yes, I was bored. Very bored. I didn't really do anything. I think I did used to smile in your tummy and frown. Maybe I was grumpy. What made you grumpy when you were in my tummy? Maybe I frowned. No, I mean... What caused you to be grumpy? The light coming in, when I wanted to sleep. I liked it dark to sleep. Oh, I see. What colour was the light coming in? It was sort of light and dark. It was whitey orange. Olivia's mother says that when Olivia was born, she was a very long baby. She was 58.5 centimetres, which is longer than 99% of babies and her blot on the growth chart was off the graph. The nurses had told her parents that Olivia was likely to return to a fetal position, as a lot of babies did, but Olivia was the opposite and would stretch herself right out, putting her arms above her head. She absolutely refused to be swaddled, and finally her parents stopped the midwives attempting it because she obviously hated it so much. Even as a young child, Olivia hated being strapped in anywhere, and she would scream if her arms were restricted. Olivia's memories of holding the umbilical cord can be verified, as when her mother was in hospital with a fetal heart monitor attached to her, the baby's heart rate dropped really low. The midwives told her mother that this occurred when the baby held the umbilical cord and squeezed it, causing the heart rate to drop as the baby nearly passes out. With regard to her memories of her past life, 
Olivia also talked about living in a little town. She couldn't remember the name of it, but it was in England and most people lived in little towns where everybody knew each other. If Olivia lived in a village, in some ways she was luckier than people who lived in the cities. England in the 1700s was in the midst of the Industrial Revolution. Before this, products were created using cottage industry, as it was called, as artisans and labourers would produce handmade goods. Olivia told her mother that she used to make blankets out of wool and that she was good at making them. Mechanisation created high-quality products that could be churned out faster, but it created a massive gap between the classes. The owners of all this new industry lived lives of luxury and had servants to provide for them. Many of the people living in the village moved to the city in search of wages working in the factories, which created overcrowding, and a lot of people were forced to live in overcrowded slums as the wages barely covered their cost of living. The hours were long, the jobs were unsafe, workers were expendable. There is no denying that life was pretty harsh for people who weren't lucky enough to be wealthy. Olivia described the little town as being a place where people could buy meat, cheese and bread. Her mother asked her whether they had a McDonald's in town, and Olivia laughed and said it wasn't invented yet. She said they didn't have cars, only horses, and that the money they used had a king on it. The coins were bumpy on the edges and very flat. This led Olivia's mother to investigate the coins from 1787, and she discovered that the coins in circulation at the time had King George III on them. The coins had serrated bumpy edges and were flatter than modern-day coins. Her mother decided to show her a collection of English coins dating back to the 1600s, and Olivia pointed to a 1787 King George shilling and said that she remembered that. She was also able to remember other coins from the reign of King George III as well. I find that quite interesting because Olivia was born in a time and has only lived in a time where we have had an English queen, not an English king. So it's interesting that she chose a king. Olivia said that Daisy believed in God and she used to go to church. She said the church was a big place and people used to go there to pray. She said that everybody had to believe in God, otherwise they'd be killed. Her mother found that unlikely and she said she didn't believe that that would happen. Olivia replied, well, it did when I was alive. If Daisy was religious, I would bet money she was Catholic. Religion in England during the 1700s was complex and there's a lot to it and I won't go into it all now because there's just too much of it. However, to strip it back to its most basic bones, in the 1500s most of England was Catholic. In 1533 King Henry VIII broke away from Rome and Catholicism and eventually took control of the Protestant Church, declaring the king as being the leader of the church and of course he did this because of his marital problems. However, most of England was still largely Catholic, and this move created a lot of opposition leading to, effectively, centuries of violence and unrest in the country. There's a lot more to all of this, but basically, the country was divided and this led to a series of plots, revolts and uprisings from different pro-Catholic groups as they struggled to regain control of the church, which was still being held and ruled by the monarchy. All of this skullduggery and machinating behind the scenes 
created a strong feeling of anti-Catholicism in the 17th century. In 1665, the Great Plague of London happened, which was historically thought to be caused by rats, but has since been shown by modern-day scientists to have been caused by the ticks and fleas that humans themselves carried. In 1666, the Great Fire of London occurred, which started in a bakery. However, rumour and propaganda abounded that these natural disasters were caused by the Catholics. For some reason, the Jesuits were often singled out as being the main perpetrators when in fact the Jesuits are a peaceful Catholic order of men who focus on educational, missionary and charitable works. From here, things very slowly escalated over decades. King Charles II married a Catholic princess. He issued a declaration of indulgence suspending penal laws against Catholics and other religious dissenters and this created a growing fear in the Protestants in the country that Catholicism was gaining influence over the monarchy and created conflict in the Parliament in the 1670s. In 1677, an anonymous pamphlet circulated suggesting that the Pope planned to change the lawful government of England. So you can see, over time, there was a lot of religious tension that was escalating and reaching a flashpoint. So, in 1678, which of course is about a hundred years before Daisy, a renegade Anglican clergyman by the name of Titus Oates fabricated a plot that the Jesuits were planning to assassinate King Charles II so that they could bring his Catholic brother, the Duke of York, to the throne. This was a lie, but he somehow gained access to the Privy Council, which is the formal body of advisers to the Sovereign, where the King's questioning showed that Oates was lying. But in the meantime, Oates had made a sworn deposition of his fabricated evidence to a Westminster Justice of the Peace, Sir Edmund Berry Godfrey. When Godfrey was found murdered, panic ensued as people feared it to be a ramification of the plot, and 35 people were executed before Oates was discredited and the panic died down. After that, things did seem to calm down and entered a much gentler period, and in fact, Olivia's mother is right in that there seemed to be finally peace in the church and the religious purges and persecution and executions of the previous century were over. But as we know from current-day religious conflict, the resentment, mistrust and tension doesn't just seep away. The effects of the anti-Catholicism movement still resonated and in fact only really seemed to die down since the Second World War when the two churches opened a dialogue in the 60s. So Daisy would have been living in a time when there would still have been a very definite rift between the two religions and I can well believe that a poor, uneducated woman who handmade blankets for a living might interpret the strong hatred and distrust between the groups, particularly when viewed against the background of violence that had happened in the not-so-distant past, as being dangerous and life-threatening. To be a part of one of the religious factions would have provided a sense of security and safety. So, when Daisy told her mother that people were killed if they didn't believe in God, her mother asked her if, in that case, she really believed in God or was just saying it. Olivia said that Daisy really did believe in him then. She reiterated it was only a small town, not a big city where she lived, and when her mother asked her if she knew the name of the town, 
after a small hesitation, she said no. Her mother wondered why she believed in God then but doesn't now, and Olivia replied that she was a different person now. Her mother said she assumed that Olivia would have the same personality as Daisy, but Olivia replied, no, this is a different life, a different body. Her mother asked, oh, so how come you have a different personality now, but used to be Daisy? Olivia replied, because the personality is gone, but the person is still there. Her mother asked her if that meant that the person and personality were different things, and Olivia replied, yes. She also seemed to recall another life of being a small boy. She told her mother she had wheels on her feet and had fallen over. When she saw a boy on a skateboard, she became excited and told her mother that that's what she'd been on when she fell over. She told her mother it was before Mummy and Daddy and Evie, which is her sister in this life, existed. Over time, she told her mother she used to be a boy in Germany, and she spoke German and got married in France. She remembered seeing airplanes at the airport. She said her name was Franz, and she said the word Hansug. She never confirmed that the surname was Hansug, only that it was important, and she didn't know why. She also seemed to remember another life, which sounds confusing and is tantalising, and I wish she'd expanded on it. Her mother asked her if she saw her dead body when she was dust, and Olivia replied no, because it was under the ground. Her mother asked her if she'd been buried, and Olivia was confused and asked what that meant. When her mother explained that people are often put in the ground when they die, She was baffled by the concept and asked why her body wasn't put in a museum. Olivia said there were other dead bodies there that were also under the ground, like she was. But later in the conversation, she confirmed to her mother that when she said she was under the ground, she didn't mean she'd been buried in the traditional ritualistic sense. She said it wasn't just soil she was buried under, it was soil, rocks and rubbish. She said she didn't mean litter and things like that, but anything, old things. She told her mother that at one point there were animals walking on top of her. She thought they were African animals. She said she was in Africa. She felt that the animals had trampled her into the ground. She couldn't remember when it was, but when her mother asked her the colour of her skin, she said she was black and she didn't have any hair. According to the Love to Know website and the Macmillan Encyclopedia of Death and Dying, African death rituals are taken very seriously, and although there is variation to the ritual due to the diversity of its ethnic groups and tribes, the dead are still treated with great reverence and ritual. The most common belief in Africa is that people reincarnate, and death is just part of the cycle. But provision of a decent and respectful burial is considered crucial, as there is a belief that a person's soul will remain at the site of their death, and the soul will be restless and haunt the living, trying to exert power over them. A properly buried person rests in peace and protects the family. Only witches, sorcerers and the undeserving were denied a proper burial. Which seems a bit of a contradiction to me, because... Surely if you had someone you thought was bringing bad luck to the village, you wouldn't want their soul hanging around and causing trouble. But it sounds like this has been the system for a while and everyone seems happy with it. 
But to wander back to Olivia and her memories, what does this mean with regard to her memories of being under rock, soil and junk? It sounds to me like she might be remembering dying in a natural disaster and seeing the rubble of the destruction on top of her dead body, particularly as she says there were other dead bodies there. While it sounds like someone unworthy might just be tossed on a tip, I wouldn't expect there to be other bodies there as well, unless it was some kind of midden where the unworthy were placed. Given Olivia's memory that animals came then and walked on her, pushing her into the ground, I'm wondering if there wasn't a flood which picked up the body and carried it along, and after the flood subsided, animals came scavenging to feed on the bodies. I don't know, and it's an intriguing question. Of all of the things that Olivia said, I find this little tiny snippet of memory the most frustrating and the most enticing. But it's also interesting that she can understand the concept of death so completely and be aware that she can die, but not understand the concept of a funeral because she'd never seen one. This case leaves us with more questions than answers, but it doesn't make it any less intriguing. Thank you for listening to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. We hope you enjoyed this case. If you have any interesting stories about reincarnation or you can relate your own past life experiences, I'd love to hear about them. And I can be contacted through my email at reincarnationplr at gmail.com or via my Facebook page called Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. We'll be back again soon with another episode. But until then, remember you are unique and your life has a purpose. Music